Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What happens if you follow a black-eyed child? Did God have a wife? Could Santa Claus be a ghost? Hello and welcome to the 822nd edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben. And those unusual questions came from my co-host, partner in the Paranormal Adventures, and Dad Paul. And uh, today we bring you an open line show, but without our popular guest uh, co-host, Shane Searway, sadly, who had another commitment today that was much more important than being here. <laughs> well, I had to do with uh, with uh, St. Nick and, uh, and something, something Shane does with his family every year. It's rather rather nice, but... Yeah, which unfortunately uh, it fell on a open lens. How dare he! <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding. Anyway, so Shane cannot be here with us for the open lines. Uh, but meanwhile, we will welcome your calls today. The number is four zero one seven six six one two four zero. That's from anywhere, or you can email Paul at behindtheparanormal dot com. You can contact us via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. So Shane will be back in two weeks, and we do another open line show. But nevertheless, uh, for today, let us uh, soldier on. All right, so let's dive right in here. Now, last week uh, we had a, a question from uh, our very faithful listener in Bogota, Colombia, Peter. And uh, Peter, we were not able to take his question last week, and so uh, we will. We, uh, he has three uh, questions today based on our last two shows. The December 1st show uh, with Jason Gleaves has his first two questions, and then uh, Dr. Uh, David Bentley Hart from last week's the December eighth show. Uh, he has a question uh, relevant to that as well. So Ben, uh, let's begin to take these one at a time. Okie dokie. So we uh, have a couple of questions here from Peter. So the first one is uh, Jason Gleaves' father uh, had an MIB. Well, well, let's just tell who Jason Gleaves uh, is. Jason Gleaves was a is, is a British uh, photo expert and a veteran of the Royal Air Force who was on two weeks ago, and we were talking about how to tell the difference between a, a, misidentifi- a misidentified photo, um, mostly having to do with UFOs, and one that may be genuine. So, so that's the background. I'm sorry, Ben. Go ahead. It's not okay. Um, <laughs> so Jason Gleaves' father had a uh, men in black encounter as a boy. Uh, he said his father described an MIB walking into his house through the locked front door, uh, and beckoning him to go upstairs. Fortunately, he refused. Based on your past uh, investigative experience, what was the MIB's intention, and what may have happened if the boy had gone upstairs? That's a, that's a very interesting question. I'm and, we, and believe me, we've looked. Uh, we're not aware of any case, and I, I'm I would be surprised if there is no case, but we're just not aware of them of anyone actually going with one of these. So-called black-eyed children, which uh, are, are show up at your door. Uh, this is the most common uh, expression of this. And uh, when you look, they'll very often look rather scraggly, and there may be one, there may be two, and uh, he, she, or it may ask to use, will probably ask you to use the telephone because uh, their mother is worried about the children. Ha! Funny. So. Too bad for you. Nobody has house phones anymore. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> that would be the first question of the 21st century. Where, where's your Where's your darn cell phone? You know. Yeah, exactly. So uh, the, then uh, the, the the next common scenario is for you to be in your vehicle, and one of these children will walk up and knock on the window and ask to be taken somewhere. Now, one of the things people don't realize uh, is is that these are not always children. Uh, there was one 
occasion where someone was on a bus and uh, the person turned around apparently had no had the black eyes uh, you know fully black eyes and uh, was um, apparently in his 20s okay uh so i mean whatever this phenomenon may be uh i, I think you know we we put the label on the black eyed children you know i don't know ben it, it reminds me of an urban legend well you know um when we had nick redfern on the show uh, talking who, about who'll be on and, next week again? Uh, actually, yeah. F- yeah. Funnily enough, which yeah. uh, which is uh, this actually probably wouldn't be a perfect question for him. Um, maybe we should set it aside for him um, because it's, yeah, we, we could we could do that. Well, it's interesting because you know, I think I'm pretty sure I asked him because we had him on talking about black eyed children at one point. Yeah, yeah. And he said they didn't really appear until the 90s. At about 1996 is the farthest case I've ever been able to find. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting because I I was reading I was reading through and I I was doing some research and um you know it's it's the same sort of thing with like the the Slenderman phenomena, where um you know it, it kind of just appears on the internet and then people actually actually start seeing things that resemble the being itself. So you know if, is this a case of Okay, well, s- enough people believe in it that it, it becomes real, kind of like a tulpa. Yeah. Or, or is something happening that we don't understand, and so we attribute this phenomena to said, you know, black-eyed children, or or slender man, or men in black? Because my first question was, you know, are you sure? Because when I, when Jason said that, I was like, you know, that's interesting because I've never heard of a men in black. You know, entering your house without being invited. Let alone through a locked door. Exactly. And beckoning somebody upstairs, that's not usually their M.O. Mm. Usually their M.O. is come in, ask a bunch of questions. You know, you have to be in, you have to invite them in. They usually show up in, in pairs or three of them. And then they usually ask to be invited in. They tell you to ignore whatever, take some stuff in your house, random things, and then leave. But this is something different. So maybe... You know, this is sort of a case of, well, I don't know what this is, but, you know, it it, sound, it looks like X, so therefore it must be X. But there's a whole Y sort of area that we don't know about yet. And I think that that's, that's the interesting thing. It's, it's less of an understanding of a behavior of a phenomena and more of a, an, an interest in how we're interpreting it. You see what I'm saying? Uh, oh yeah, I, I think it, you're, I know exactly what you're saying. And of course, as we always say, there are labels that we put on things. We really don't understand the things, but we understand the labels. So we exactly. put labels on stuff. Right. Yeah. So it's so it's a fascinating case, not just in oh wow why why is an MIB coming in here, but it's more why are we viewing it the way we are, mm. and why why are we looking at it through this lens and saying okay well you know let's say a big hairy creature walks right into the studio right now, and we say, oh, God, Bigfoot's in the studio. We have Bigfoot live in the studio, but we don't. And Well, that would be a cool, wouldn't it? Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> behind the paranormal featuring Bigfoot. But no, we. <laughs> but if he did, but how would we know that it's Bigfoot or Sasquatch or whatever? You know, it could just be our station manager playing a prank on us in, in, mm. in, a, in, a, in a suit, or it could be an extraterrestrial, or it could be whatever, and so on, and so on, and so on. Really, it comes down to something we've said from the beginning, which is we participate in the phenomena, and what we believe dictates what we see. Do you see where I'm going yeah, with yeah. this? Yeah, no, no, I think you're absolutely right, yeah. Um, the idea of the thought form or the tulpa is very interesting. 
people do seem to, uh, whether it's uh, the phenomenon is created, uh, such as a shadow person or a black-eyed child or whatever, uh, by group concentration, which actually has been recorded as, as happening. Uh, when there were, I'm thinking of the case in Canada that we sometimes bring up where, uh, in the 60s, where students actually uh, made up a, a person from the past, uh, the 17th century actually, and then concentrated, and that sort of person manifested through all sorts of things we would never approve of, such as seances and all this thing. And, of course, there was uh, trouble brewing from that. So uh, I suspect it was a parasite that sort of uh, linked in. But, but again, who knows? I mean, Well, uh, you know, it's, it, even, even in, in our historical documents, correct? Oh, we have, we have a caller. Okay, we have a caller. Well, we're going to set this question aside uh, for Nick Redford next week because he is the, the, the perfect person to, uh, to um, answer this. He's done a lot more uh, research uh, on that subject than we have. And um, we do have a caller. I think uh, it could be one of our show reporters. Uh, but uh, the Jason Gleave show uh, is available on the podcast platforms, uh, Spotify and Apple and all that. So um, you can check that out. Uh, again, very good show. Uh, again, that was December 1st. I lied. It dropped. Rick, if you're listening, call back. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, is that uh, Rick from San Francisco? Or, yeah, I moved I moved a little too quickly and pressed the buttons too quickly. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, it was um, uh, our, our show reporter from California is going to get some... Interesting stuff going on and wants to fill us in on that. So, um, again, we'll uh, take that uh, first Jason Gleaves question and we'll uh, move that to uh, uh, next uh, week when we have um, Nick Redfern, who is a real expert on that subject. Uh, one of the, um, just before we leave the subject of the black eyed children, uh, the, um, yeah, I'm looking here, it is 1996, a uh, journalist reported that, and that's the earliest case I've ever actually been able to find. Uh, they've been seen. In the UK, different countries as well, and uh, we uh, are still having trouble. Huh? Okay, um, moving too quickly. Okay, all right. Well, anyway, additionally, um, the people who have been in close proximity to these so-called black-eyed children report a feeling of unease uh, that kind of washes over them. And one thinks of the Mothman cases in the 1960s in the Ohio Valley. People described the sense of fear. Some, most of the time, not always that would wash over them. So that might be one reason uh, why there are not any cases that we know of, of, of people actually going with them or doing what these children want or letting them into the house or letting them into the vehicle. It has been suggested that the reason there are no reports of that is that when you do give in to these creatures or whatever they are, that uh, you do not come to a good end. Maybe you vanish or you're abducted or something of, of this kind. That's that's possible as well. Uh, there has been um, um, another theory uh, that these are vampires, aliens, or of demonic origin. That That's what, th- those are the most common terms uh, for, for, you know, the classical understanding of this. In our vocabulary, vampires would be... Um, not the uh, count, you know, uh, with a waving cape and all this sort of thing, and European nobleman, but would be someone uh, who was a parasite or some uh, creature of that kind uh, that would feed upon uh, the chaos created. Okay, we, we still don't have... Uh, huh. I'm pressing phone one, not phone two. All right, Rick. I know exactly what I'm doing wrong. Just All right. 
Well, there we are, a little bit uh, behind keep, the scenes of the technical. I keep, uh, I keep forgetting that that one of the phones is out of order, so I'm 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 very. Oh, okay. So I'm, I'm crossing the streams here, so it's, it's. But people can still call in. Yes, yes, yeah. they can. No, it's just yeah, it's just it's just me not not reading correctly. Okay, four one seven six six one two four zero. So we'll try it again with Rick. Uh, the um, what another interesting thing about black-eyed children is that they are commonly described as wearing dated clothing or dressing in a way that is not typical of a normal child of their age. It, it, it somehow harks back to the men in black uh, phenomena where you have uh, them not seeming to be familiar with simple there we customs go. such as Now we pants. have Rick on. <laughs> okay, now we have Rick. Thank you, Rick. You rescued me from prattling on uh, needlessly here. So, uh, Rick from California, uh, thank you for calling in. Uh, what do you, and Rick is our official show reporter out there in the... Uh, the Golden State, <clears throat> which, um, given the, the real estate prices, you could use a pocket full of gold to live out there. I don't know how you do it, Rick. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> it's uh, it's uh, great to have you. And please, uh, what's cooking out there on uh, Lotus Land? <laughs> well, first of all, I spend a lot of time in Sacramento panning for gold. Oh, okay. uh, as you should. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Who wouldn't? <laughs> Got to pay your mortgage somehow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely true. Well, there's a couple things going on. One, um, I wanted to highlight that uh, we're, we're, we're seeing a lot of reports of continuous uh, light in the sky following like a line or a diamond shape. And um, what I'm curious to know, uh, and if anyone back east uh, sees this, is that um, they're turning out to be what they call Starlink satellites from SpaceX, which are communication satellites, which travel in a, in a certain order. Now, I, I'm not an expert on them, but they've definitely come up on um, the research I've done, and there was a case on um, November 26th where um, a number of people had seen these, uh, these lights in the sky traveling uh, either in tandem but in groups of six to eight. Um, so we're getting a lot of reports of that, which of course is uh, moving up everybody's uh, suspicion of UFOs in the area. Uh, and that's where I'd like to start, and I'd like to know if anyone has seen that uh, out east or any reports come in like that before I move on to my next one. Interesting. So you said it has to do with SpaceX? I believe, yeah, I, I believe Skylake. Um, the satellite, yeah. Space. Oh, yes. Yeah, uh, well, um, the the, uh, the issue of determining whether you're looking at a satellite or whether you're looking at, at a, a genuine UFO is uh, problematic. Uh, I would suggest... Uh, there is a, an app, not that we want to advertise any particular app, but it's it's very um, uh, interesting. It's called Sky Guide, and there are others I'm sure that do the same thing. But if you uh, happen to see something odd, and you uh, turn on the Sky Guide, you get some very calming music, and you all, it'll also tell you exactly what you're looking at if it's a satellite. Oh yeah, I yeah. believe. Um, um, I love that. I've had it for years. Oh geez, I'm really blanking. Uh, yeah. The director of Mufon in Connecticut was talking about that in one of his Mike Panicello. Yes, yes, Mike Panicello. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and uh, it, it'll tell you whether you're seeing the International Space Station. It'll it'll, it'll give you if you want. It give you notifications when the space station is going to pass overhead if it is, and uh, so wow. that, so that's one way to identify something. That may otherwise remain identified, unidentified in, in our minds. Okay. And do you know if that gives historical data or just in the moment data? It's in the moment data. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, but but then again, they, but I, I've been looking at things in the sky and, and there, there's no um, ID for it. 
And it does make you wonder. And certainly, I wish I'd, you know, often in, in that Pennsylvania sighting in May, I wish um, I'd had the uh, wherewithal to have turned that on. But obviously, we were not looking at anything that would identify. I mean, well, there's, was... um, there's, there's another really interesting thing that Mike was talking about, too. Um, and it was, there, there are a couple of, of free um, websites that you can go to that keep, they keep logs of all, all of the, pretty much ev- every, um, uh, transmission from a uh, oh geez I'm really blanking on what it's called um, basically from air- airports so okay. so um, you know land- landing crews and all of that whatever they're called do you know what I'm talking about yeah we, well I don't, I'm not entirely sure okay no. so they help people land planes oh air traffic controller yes. yes so they keep logs of all air traffic controller um, transmissions and they also keep logs of flight patterns up to 10 years back and they they you can look at real time. Yeah, we looked at that. We looked at that for Dubois, Pennsylvania, when we had that sighting. Yeah, yeah. there's a, there's there's a bunch of other stuff too. There's a lot of like there's weirdly an insane amount of resources out there to determine flight patterns as yeah. well as where you know satellites have come and gone. Now I'm not sure why there are so many resources for it, but there are. Yeah. Well, the thing is, Rick, too, uh, one thing that, that would stand out in what you've described is uh, anything flying in formation, uh, presumably, but not always, would mean more than one object. Many of the triangular uh, UFOs that are seen, uh, uh, some of them turn out to be different craft. I mean, the one I saw over Phoenix from a plane uh, about 12 years ago was um, obviously would seem to be different craft. Uh, so, but sometimes not. So I don't know. How, how many reports have come in uh, about this? Over the past, I'd say, 45 days um, that I've been in contact, and this is myself, it's been three. Okay, well, And it's all on the same object. Yeah. And then, um, then if you look historically, there's, there's some others. But I don't know what the other researchers are doing, but I, I do know it's been three so far for me. Okay. Uh, would you be willing to uh, speak with other researchers who may be listening? Oh, sure, sure. Oh, okay. Definitely. All right. Uh, if you'd like to talk to Rick, uh, if, with Rick's permission, uh, if you want to uh, drop us an email at the show, uh, paul at behindtheparanormal.com, we can put you in touch with Rick, uh, particularly if you're in, in his area out there on the West Coast, and we'll see what's, what else is, uh, is going on. One of, the, one of the things in this field we find, and I'm sure you do too, Rick, is that people, uh, there, there isn't enough communication. I mean, in the academic world, you have peer review, and you have committees and things like this, and that's starting to happen in this field, but uh, it actually it is through MUFON. I shouldn't say that. Uh, there, that's a fine group that um, where people communicate. So uh, you you want to you want to be able to have others uh, communicate with you, and uh, maybe we can all learn uh, more uh, more quickly that way. So uh, what else is cooking out there? So I had now this is a, a question that is um, a little bit different than what I'm used to looking at, but uh, I have a, a gentleman, a witness. Um, he was in Milpitas, California, walking his dog on uh, December 10th, it was. Yeah. And um, he's just walking his dog, uh, and he stops to let the dog do its business. And all of a sudden, he feels a poking in the back of his neck. So, you know, he ignores it at first, and then it's the poking something in the back of his neck. So he, he turns around, and there's nothing there, but um, he all of a sudden feels, sees this beautiful sky. There were clouds out. So he... For some reason, um, he decides, oh, I'll take a picture. And it's kind of not characteristic of him to do that, but they pick the phone up, take the picture. And then later he's looking at the picture, 
and he looked up into the cloud, and it's a very large cloud, but sitting there, and it looked like, if you just looked at it at first, like just some type of, uh, I don't know, box or something in the sky. Yeah, like a cube UFO. Uh, I remember you sent us that yeah. picture. Yeah. Yeah, and the, the thing was, is I asked him, I said, did you clean your lens? Like, what was going on? The gentleman is a photographer, and he keeps... He is, okay. All right. So um, he, he worked in the defense industry for years, retired, became a photographer. So I, 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 what's interesting to me about this, it's in broad daylight. It's not so much the cube in the air. Um, Milpitas, just to give you some background, is an interesting place uh, in terms of what the topography is. I mean, you've got a city that's in the middle of fault lines, many fault lines, with high water table. There's not only is there a military presence, but there's also uh, uh, high-tension wires, oh. clay. The soil composition is clay. It's mineral-rich. Mm. It is a salt marsh, ethnic, technically. You've got the Ohlone Indians. You have a ghost town right outside of it. It's got the Bouget Effect mystery spot, and it's got the Wiccan community to knock it all off. So it's an uh, interesting area. It certainly <laughs> sounds like it. A lot of factors that we yeah. look for when there are phenomena taking place because of the electromagnetics and geotechnics, that sort of thing. Very interesting. <clears throat> okay, well, Rick, uh, so, keep us posted on that. Have you that. heard of that, though? The, the poking in the neck? Have you ever heard of anything like that before? Uh, yes. Um, however, uh, usually something else happens afterwards, but I have heard of uh, physical sensations of that kind. Uh, matter of fact, it's even happened to me uh, you know, different, <clears throat> a long time ago, but uh, yeah, I have heard of that. Uh, what it may be, I don't know. Uh, it could. I don't see any reason to think it may be negative, uh, given the nature of the multiverse. If, if our interpretation is correct, so um, I would. I would try and follow up on that. Uh, he he might want to fill out the questionnaire at behindtheparanormal.com. Uh, we need to expand that actually because it's more for uh, sightings and things like. So so that that would be good. But you know, if you have a, a you know sort of a, a poltergeist chasing you around the house. Uh, We'd need to know more uh, than the questionnaire asks. However, this is not that. The cube UFO thing, uh, Rick, is very interesting because there have been many uh, rather close-up photos and even videos of craft that would not ordinarily be associated with the classic UFO, which is usually a disc or even a big light. Um, This is actually, it looks like a box hanging in the sky. And um, there has been some speculation, this is, these are government experiments, why would they be doing that over highly populated areas, and there's an answer to that, too, but we just don't know. So, all right. Well, thanks for calling Thank in, and uh, we'll, uh, we're will we always in touch, so we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye, guys. Okay. Take care now. All right. So uh, what is uh, the second question that uh, Peter had? Peter uh, writes to us. Uh, also, Jason had an example of an entity that had features with Egyptian uh, mythological characteristics. Uh, have you encountered that? Well, certainly in, in uh, iconography, uh, the uh, Eastern Christian art tradition has uh, really rather a lot of Egyptian influence. And uh, I mean, you can blame the Greeks for that, the Hellenic stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, particularly when Egypt was Hellenized. Oh, yes. And, uh, <laughs> and the... But the striking difference is that in um, a number of cultures, there is a very, I don't even know how to describe it, I suppose Egyptian-like... Oh, and fun uh, fact, you probably already knew this, the word synagogue actually comes from the Greek. 
synagogue. Yes. Ah. Yes. Uh, but I, I don't know how Egyptian that would be. Not very, but uh, I'm saying that the, the, yeah. the Hellenism was like all over the place. Yeah. But uh, the, if, if you look at the classic gray, you know, the, the uh, usual um, rather almost stereotypical alien or alien assistant or whatever, so there are some ideas that it's biomechanical if they exist. Uh, they look rather Egyptian. Uh, I suppose the uh, the almond-shaped eyes, maybe not so much, but uh, uh, sort of a darker uh, skin tone, things of this kind. So there does seem to be uh, a sort of um, uh, almost a tradition in art of that as well, which means that people must have experienced something like that. Uh, as as we always uh, as we always point out, uh, everything in folklore. Uh, isn't necessarily untrue at all. Uh, there, there was something going on in the uh, background of the human psyche. The people experienced it, and they express it in art and many other ways, in, in traditions, in folklore, and stories, even sometimes in jokes. Uh, these are things that, that, that come down as the memory of, of our species. So I'd have to answer yes to that uh, question from Peter, that uh, things are very Egypt-like uh, at times uh, when it comes to some of these 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 beings so uh so we do we have got? alexander petikoff on, oh my on the phone but we do have to take our break so we'll take our break very quickly and yes then we'll come right back you're listening to behind the paranormal oh and 1240 a.m and 99.5 fm in new england's beautiful but windy blackstone valley today we'll be right back with our next caller stay with us Lou Mandeville here to tell you the only place to get your local high school and college scores, as well as the Pats, Bruins, Celtics, and Sox is on my morning sports reports. And they are right here on ON 1240, Monday through Friday on the Morning Fun Show. And uh, here we are again. That was quick. So we welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on ON Radio, AM and FM. And we have the great Alexander Pettigrew. We have a star-studded uh, bunch of callers today here. Oh, yes. Um, so, Alexander, welcome welcome to the show. Too bad you're not in the studio with us. Yeah, how's it going, guys? Oh, pretty fair. Thank you. Not bad, not bad. Yeah. So what do you have for us today? Not a whole lot. Just figured I'd call in and uh, see how you guys are doing and just kind of chat about the, all the interesting stuff going on lately. Okay. Uh, I'm glad you did because you, you were one of the witnesses to the UFO, rather dramatic UFO sighting we had in Pennsylvania in May of this year, and which we were able to catch on video. Um, I was on Exploring the Bazaar, which is, uh, Tim Beck, our good friends Tim Beckley and Tim Swartz. Uh, Tim, Tim was, uh, Tim Swartz was the host that night because Tim uh, wasn't able to be there, but. Tim and Tim. (laughs) Tim and Tim, yeah, it's it's very frustrating. Uh, one of them refers to as Timothy, I suppose. But the, the UFO video that we took, I guess there was, I don't remember whether they showed part of it or they showed the stills from it. Uh, someone wrote in and said that the UFO itself might have stirred up or, or the vibrational environment, and that's why we heard the tone. And if anybody, if anybody has no idea what we're talking about, go to the ON Worldwide website to the, uh, to the ON TV on demand. And you, if you can scroll back to our show for May 26th of this year, you can see the video and hear the tone as well. So, uh, but I responded to that, that the tone took place the next night, the night after the sighting. And right. that, and her, her idea was, was that the vibrational environment stirred up the singing bowl on the porch of the house 
So I don't even, I'm on so, you know, we're all on so many shows, we don't remember one from the other, but, uh, I must have described, uh, the, the, uh, Tibetan singing bowl on the other side of the house, which, Ben, why don't you describe what that is in case people don't know? Well, what am I explaining? Uh, the, the Tibetan singing bowl. Oh, yes. Sorry. I, uh, I should have gotten so, you more coffee this morning. Yes. It's, it's been a very, very strange few days. Um, <laughs> yes. That's so, what we get day in and day out around this place. So a Hold Tibetan down. singing bowl uh, essentially is – it can be in various sizes and various thicknesses. But the goal is is really to do two things. One, it's a practiceness of – it's a pract- practiceness. That's not a word. A practice of steady-handedness. And also um, it's a meditation tool. But it, the fun thing about it is it can only emit uh, one tone and only increase in volume, which is interesting. So you give it a little, comes with a little mallet. There's usually a little pillow that you place the bowl on itself, and then you take the little mallet, if that's what you want to call it. It's not really a mallet because it's like an elongated sort of bat thing, but we'll call it a mallet for all intents and purposes. And you take a little mallet and you give it a little tap, and then you run the mallet around it um, to sort of increase the volume of the tone. And the more steady-handed you are, uh, the the you know the more consistent and loud the tone would be. And it's interesting because it's typically made of a metal, or like a, like a, like a, not really a copper so much, but it's, it's sort of in there. And the, the tone that we heard, we heard in, in, I wasn't there, but that I, I heard later through recordings sounded similar in a way because it was one specific tone that did, didn't change, was exactly the same, didn't change in volume, didn't change in intensity, didn't change frequency, it just stayed exactly the same which is incredibly hard to do if you don't have a source that's sort of generating this tone you know like um say you know your washing machine's broken and it's stuck on a setting and it's just like and it just you know just has that one metallic sort of tone or there's something up with your your any sort of electronic device then it'll, it'll sort of stay in that in that realm but the thing is it moved which is weird and you know, one could argue, okay, well, you know, sometimes stuff bounces off. It's like throwing your voice. That's that's something you could argue. But the thing is, no, nothing was broken, which is interesting. Yeah, and th- and quite a remarkable experience, actually. And you know, I mean, if it's it, another thing that kind of occurred to me later was, oh, maybe it's maybe there's a garage door opener. But the, the thing, it moved. It moved outside. Yeah, which is weird. And up and, into the air. And the fact that it didn't penetrate, you know any of the walls around you to go to anybody else in the house except who was in the garage is even more fascinating. Mm. And when it moved outside, no one heard it either. Nobody inside the house heard it either. Yeah. Exactly. And Which, the window was... And, and, uh, Alec, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the the bedroom window uh, above the garage where the owners of the house were it was open and they didn't hear a thing. Yeah, I, I actually don't remember that specific detail, but I do know that the door to the basement studio kind of little apartment where uh, some of us had been sleeping, uh, where one of the other members was in there, the door was like half open. So, I mean, he, I don't know how, that's immediately my first reaction was that I went straight inside to him. He wasn't sleeping, he was just laying there on his that's phone. That's right, yeah. And I asked Chuck, you know, I'm like, what, did you hear what just happened? He just kind of looked at me, no, what are you talking about? I remember that, yeah. And the door, and he was you know, probably five, six feet away from where this was happening around, as we were all gathered around, uh, my table there with all the gear, that was sort of the, the central point. I had taken over that old table with all my equipment and everything, and that's just where it all kind of went down. So. Yeah. 
And the, the, the singing bowl that the family had was on the other side of the house on a, on a porch or a patio. Oh, they actually had a singing bowl? Oh, yeah, on the other side of the house. Oh, and, I didn't know that. We went over there. And we, we actually tried, and it, it was, it was two o'clock in the morning, and we, we were so excited about what had been happening that we went over there. I mean, Shane was with us, and and uh, we tried that, as you remember, uh, Alec, and and we got it, and it was a different different sound. Yeah, yeah it, it, was, it wasn't similar. I mean, it was similar, yeah, yeah but it wasn't the but, same. But it, but it was it was the same, and I think that's the defining factor too, is the fact that it kind of moved around in that way. Yeah, which is really what struck me is that it almost. Like, we all kind of just went outside, and this thing was in the, in the air, and I remember pointing out, specifically, you can hear it, it sounds like it's above us. That's right. And it, and it went in this circular motion, and then, which is on the recording, you can hear it at the end, it goes, it doesn't fade out, the sound, it just, it just goes from sound on to just off, like somebody hit an off switch, and you can hear that, I'm sure you've heard that, Ben, on the, on the audio, but, but yeah, it's interesting, I mean, you mentioned the, the, Tim and Tim, you know, yeah. on uh, Exploring the Bazaar. I, I talked about this on their show, uh, I think, last month. Oh, yeah. They asked in great detail about, you know, the sound and the sighting and whether or not it might be related. And I, I, I could only speculate, you know, I wasn't sure. But the fact that they both happened uh, within, you know, sort of 24 hours, a little more of each other, was definitely an interesting correlation. And Sure was, yeah. And um, the fact that it happened in this area was obviously so, um, super interesting. Absolutely. So, so you have uh, Lions of the East. Uh, for those who don't know, Al- uh, Alexander is is a br- I think a brilliant filmmaker. And um, so, uh, tell us what you're working on. And, and, and Lions of the East is that available yet? Not quite. I'm still finishing it up. Uh, hopefully by the, the early 2020. That's the, okay. Why don't you tell us yeah, about it? The release. So sure. As you know, Paul, you're one of the interviewees in it. Oh yeah, that's right. No, I, I didn't forget. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I, I don't. But uh, you were in the trailer there a couple months ago that I released. Uh, so it's just sort of an exploration of the uh, mountain lion or history, big cat, alien big cat. People have a lot of different terms for these sort of creatures that are in New England that really aren't supposed to be here, at least if you um, hear what the authorities are saying about the fact that they're supposed to be extinct in this part of the country, yet there are still sightings. There have been confirmed DNA evidence that has been found and sort of, in a way, systematically brushed up mm-hmm. or covered up in a way, which is kind of interesting. And it's just sort of an exploration of why that's happening and, and what's going on with that phenomena. Yeah, it's very good. It's uh, it's really good. And you have an excellent um, uh, film, too, as well, on the, the Bridgewater Triangle, which is right uh, within our listening area here in the, uh, eastern Ma- Massachusetts. And uh, th- that's available on YouTube, I believe? Yeah, uh, if anyone's interested, it's, a, it's actually for a, a sort of an open form documentary series called yeah. Sasquatch Out of the Shadows, the YouTube channel. You can go over there and you know, there's multiple. There's one of the interviews, actually, one of the episodes, rather, is an interview with the three members of that family that we interviewed in Pennsylvania in 2018. Had the you know, Bigfoot activity going on for decades. Yeah. The three, three generations of one family. And um, so I'm always kind of, I just posted something on the Honey Island Swamp Monster there on that channel, which is about uh, the uh, creature supposedly lives in the swamps of Louisiana, an interview with a lady whose grandfather claims to have experienced it and kind of talks about some of the local stories, and, you know, creepy swamp monster sort of stories, like a swamp Bigfoot, yeah. if you will. So there's always new stuff going on there. 
Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, so everybody, you know, check out uh, Alexander's uh, YouTube channel. It's, it's really amazing. And we're hoping to maybe get something done on this Pennsylvania case at some point, and certainly in New Hampshire at the uh, America Stonehenge. Uh, yeah, I've, I've still got some interviews from this year's uh, Pennsylvania trip. Uh, we interviewed one of the guys who had, I wouldn't say he had Bigfoot sightings uh, in his own, uh, but he talked about the history in the region and how his cousins had experiences and old stories going back in the day. So I'll probably post that at some point in the next couple months on that channel. Yeah. But there's another uh, another sort of Pennsylvania tie in there. But, yeah, there's a lot of really interesting cases, almost too many to, to kind of the four or five of us to be kind of looking at. So Yeah. Uh, and we're headed back there in May, which isn't all that far away. So there you go. Yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. Well, Alexander, thanks for calling in. Yeah, uh, And, uh, you know, you're one of my honorary sons, uh, and... <laughs> We'll be talking to you soon. You have the beard to prove All right. it. All right, guys. <laughs> okay. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, Alexander Petikoff, Renaissance man. All right. So um, why don't we – what's Peter, – Peter's got another question based on um, last week's show. Yes. With, which was very unusual. Uh, we, we were talking with uh, Dr. David Bentley Hart, a theologian, uh, about a number of things having to do with uh, the notion of – Salvation and will the devil, who was of course a primary paranormal pain in the neck, uh, who features at least people think he does. We actually got a really interesting comment on YouTube from that channel, and I'll I'll, I'll share that with you. Oh, we did. Oh, yeah. You, you oh, kind of it's, it's you, super interesting. And it you was, handle the YouTube stuff, so I don't know well, if you I, see it. N- handle is a very loose word. Yeah. Well, all right. <laughs> I just received notifications for it. Yeah. So uh, Peter does have a question uh, based on, on uh, eh, that va- show. Vaguely. Yeah. Um, he said in your previous episode with Dr. Hart, uh, you were explaining to him that you had a case where parasites, uh, parasitic entities uh, expressed remorse. How was this communicated to you? Verbal, with English, or was this an EVP? Okay, very good question. Uh, I should clarify, it wasn't communicated directly to me by any entity, but these are... Uh, th- there were two cases in which people were hosts, as we would put it, of uh, parasitical entities, and the entities, I uh, remember one case was in Indiana about 10 years ago, uh, where these things would apologize, and they would hear, uh, in both cases, a verbal, uh, words coming out of the air, as it were, all right, uh, very often right up against their ears which was disconcerting at first, and they got used to it. But uh, there there have been forms of communication that are nonverbal, uh, simply the words sort of appear in your head or you know, telepathically, as you might say. But it depends, I guess, on the person and how they're, they're tuned, uh, if you want to say. Uh, it's really difficult to explain. It's a rather personal thing. But in, in both the cases where the remorse was expressed, uh, this was um, uh, verbal. Uh, so the remorse being what? Okay, well, the, the, the parasites, for those who don't know, uh, at least in our opinion, are living creatures. They're not spirits or ghosts or anything. Uh, matter of fact, we don't think this has anything to do with dead people at all. And they, they will feed upon your negative energy and will grow stronger, sometimes can become poltergeists. Again, this is from my experience anyway. I may be wrong. But the remorse was expressed in these two cases where the, the entities actually apologized for the way they had to live, you know, and, and having to be attached to hosts such as the, the unfortunate people in the cases. And uh, that was what the... So what, whether... I have never found it wise to believe these critters. Uh, I don't think they 
really care at all about us except as food sources. And, uh, you know, th- this seems to be the way the multiverse, as we call it, is, uh, uh, set up that there are all kinds of life is everywhere every when and it's all simultaneous uh einstein's theory of relativity indicating that and when it comes to time and these are just creatures who live there and that we're among the food sources so that's um that's what that was about but it was um in these two cases verbal but not not to me personally but to the people who uh were the hosts of these and then told me about it so all right cool okay i want to go to facebook here there's um one uh, couple of couple of questions here as we uh, rummage through the, the yeah. files here. Uh. <laughs> Alrighty, so let's start right at the very beginning. So Sarah from North Smithfield, uh, right here in our listening area, writes to us. Uh, I just read Paul's new book and it's awesome. He talked about exorcisms uh, that sometimes do not work. Uh, what do people do then? And if you think you or someone uh, else needs an exorcism, where do you turn? Well, that's a very good basic question. Uh, to the first part, it, one of the things, well, in the book, I, I, the, the whole first chapter is called Adventures in Exorcism. And in 1973, I was a, as a seminary student, I was assisting a priest uh, very much on the hush-hush uh, at a state hospital in upstate New York where there were a lot of weird things going on. The idea of these being you know, demons in the classical sense of the term and being able to use the rich Roman Catholic, in this case, ritual of exorcism, it just didn't add up for me. It seemed like there was just something wrong about it, that this is not what this was, that, and, and sure enough, a number of exorcisms um, had to be repeated, uh, so I was told I wasn't involved in all of them, uh, and, and sometimes it just didn't work. Uh, the first and worst that I was involved with in 1973 there was a young girl, 17 years old. This is all in the book, and she was, um, uh, the, you know, addictions, uh, sci- you know, psychoses going on. Uh, only 17, underage, uh, terrible family. You know, you name it. Uh, plenty of things for a parasite to feed on. Now, I hadn't at, at the time. I still believed in the the demon thing, although they didn't teach us about that in the seminary. That's one of the things I point out in the book. You know, isn't this stuff the business of priests? Well. No, I mean, not according to the, the seminary rectors and, and the directors of spiritual formation or, or the bishops responsible for that, uh, that uh, there is some, there are uh, the occasional priest, usually one per diocese or, or regional section of the church headed by a bishop, who is trained in their narrow view of what this is, and that, and he is the go-to person for uh, for this stuff, if you happen to have somebody in your parish who comes to you with this uh, problem, and uh, <clears throat> but most priests are not trained in that. So, uh, but what I learned uh, was that I, I don't think any of this was the right approach. Um, I don't think going in there with with uh, the holy water and the crosses, you know, it's necessarily uh, would work. And that's uh, we don't have time to get into it in any depth now. We've done it in other shows, and it's in the books. So. Um, but as far as, um, I think that's why they didn't often work because that's not what was going on is not what we thought it was. We did what we said earlier. We put labels we can understand on realities that we can't, or at least not from that paradigm. So I think that, that was the problem. As far as where do you turn when you think something, that's a very difficult question. Uh, there are very few places I think you can turn. I think that clergy are the ones who will mess it up more readily than some, because they are not trained in this. And even if they are, it is, as I say, from this very narrow paradigm. 
Where would you go, Ben, if your cat started floating up in the air? Uh, I mean, that's a rhetorical question. Obviously, we have ourselves. Well, first of all, my cats are very agile, so I wouldn't be yes. surprised if they started okay. floating in the well, air. Well, that's, that's um, not, a, not a good metaphor. Then. Well, you know, that's a great question. I actually, I'm not sure, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult because, you know, there, there are all kinds of quote-unquote demonologists out there and we have a show coming up with one and again you know maybe we're, we're too critical but uh, you know I, I i was involved in that for years uh, i worked with some of the best and i just i would never in a million years call myself a demonologist first because i don't think they're demons in the classic sense and uh, it's almost it's almost like like um, astrobiology in a sense you know, de- dealing with alien life forms or theoretical alien life forms because they're alien. I mean, you're in the presence of these things. They just feel totally different, totally other, totally alien. Well, I, I think really, you know, there's a really interesting sociological concept, which is sort of how, how we determine someone's value based on, um, you know, their their credentials, right? So, like, mm. there's sort of like a like a list and I remember this from uh, a textbook I had where, you know, we sort of as- ascribe a certain, like, value, say, like, 1 to 100 based on someone's profession, right? Mm. So, of course, doctors, lawyers, they're, like, up at the top. They have, sure. like, you know, 89, 90 scores or, or whatever. But then, like, you know, as you go further down the line, you look and you see all of these values that are ascribed, you know, looking at their credentials depend, you know, pff, you could, you could have a janitor that was like you know a former like brain surgeon in India, but like you know credentials in transfer, so now he's a janitor somewhere. Mm. Like which I've I've seen time and time again, mm. and, which is really sad actually. But um, anyway, I digress. So what what I'm trying to get at is you know rather than um you know all right so what do you do with with let, let's say you know cats possessed right so let's so what what do you do more like who can you trust and how do we figure out what skills are valuable in in this and i i think that the field that we're in is still very very new in in a sense that we're trying to understand the metaphysical concepts that are are before us that perhaps our ancestors already knew about but then things like you know um uh, philosophical and theological developments kind of glossed over them and and made them overcomplicated and legalistic in a sense that now we, we don't we don't know what we're dealing with anymore. For example, um, let, let's 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 stick with let's stick, let's go with Christianity, right? So in the in the early church, um, you know, it was it was sort of demons were sort of things that were in existence. But you know, if you if you sort of practiced a good simple life, they didn't. You know, you could you could easily ward them off and ignore them. Um, and those who decided to do battle, quote unquote, with with demons, they would go out into the desert. So the first monastics, weirdly, it's they didn't go into the desert because it was peaceful, serene, beautiful. They actually went because, you know, biblically speaking, Christ went into the desert for forty days and fought. Basically, you know, did battle out there. For 40 days and so the monks essentially were like well we got to follow his example let's go and so they went out into the deserts the wilds and just moved away from society and then over time eventually went back in western europe and um in somewhat in in the east as well anyway mo- moving forward with this sort of how how we we viewed the world around us changed with a lot of very significant um scientific discoveries philosophical 
um, movements and ideas. And as we sort of started to overcomplicate things, we sort of lost touch with what's actually reality. Do you see what I'm saying here? Mm-hmm. Do you see where I'm going with this? So as we overcomplicate things, especially in our modern society today, where, you know, um, to get from point A to point B, we have to go start at Z and then work our way back, stop, restart, stop, restart, then eventually, okay, now we got to figure out where A is and then what even is B. And at that point, now we're debating, okay, well, what are the implications of A and B? And then we forgot the whole point of why we're trying to get from A <laughs> right. to B. And this is this is this is the world that we live in. So the point A is my cat is possessed, but how do we even get to B, which is making my cat no longer possessed? Well, there's a question of can animals be that's come up too. But well, this I, is, I see what this you're is, going. This yeah. is all, all hyperbole all, here. Sure. The, the the point of my cat Linus being possessed is not the point. The point is where do I turn and what's actually happening? And determining where to turn is is the hard part because I don't want to steer somebody wrong. Yeah. And I don't I don't want to to be to give someone bad advice. Which is is because it's it's a danger, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to tell someone, all right, well, you know, go to this person over here, and then everything gets worse. So I think the the thing is to exercise caution, and rather than immediately jump to the worst conclusion, which I believe you know we've sort of been bred to do in this society for the last you know few decades, where we jump to, oh, it's demons, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, it's it's parasites, oh. Everything's ruining my life. You know, mm-hmm. all of these things. I'm all of these these bad things that are happening. I'm ascribing to, you know, supernatural beings or you know cosmic creatures. That I, th- I think the first thing to do is step back and look at what you can do and realize that you are not subject to these outside powers. That we are participants in the phenomena, and therefore we have power in the phenomena. Well, I think you just led right into the most practical, sensible suggestion that can be made, uh, an answer that can be made to uh, that question. W- avoid it. Avoid the problem in the first place. All right, that's something that is present in. Well, if you want to continue with the theme of what the Christians do uh, in the Eastern Church, the, the, every, every blessing has an exorcism in it. And the idea being, you just you avoid the problem in the first place, and then you won't have the problem. And as you say, uh, keeping a, the positive nature of, of of life going, keeping positive energy, and that repels parasites. And even if we're all wrong, keeping things positive in your life is good advice under any circumstances for any people or any families. Yeah. So just keep it simple. Avoid the problem in the first place. If you have negative things in your life. Uh, and, and this is one of the things you always ask when, when you go into a case. Uh, okay, well, when when did the problem start? When did uh, the dining room table start to float on its own? Uh, when did uh, things turn negative in the family? Well, it was you know three years ago, say. And the question is, well, what happened three years ago that started ringing the dinner bell for any kind of parasite, if that's what it is? And there are plenty of other things that could be that are not paranormal. You know, a lot of things. So I think just avoid the problem in the first place. If it's a friend you feel is having a parasite problem or is possessed or something, uh, just, again, try and keep it positive. 
the possession thing is not it can be overcome if you realize what at least what we feel it is uh, a quote unquote demon cannot come in and just take over uh, in every there has case to be a tacit agreement from both parties exactly that, that's what I found in every case I've ever worked on and uh, there are multiversal principles involved in this, but just keep it positive. Help your friends keep it positive. Help your family keep it positive, and you'll avoid the problem in the first place. I think that's probably the best uh, suggestion. Yeah. All right. There we go. So uh, we're we're okay. We're just about well, out of time. Well, we uh, all. I'm like looking through all these. I'm like, there's no way we're gonna get through all all like at least one of these questions. Well, not in, in three and a half in, minutes. No, 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 not at all. But. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I mean, we could we could try, but it probably won't go very. Well. No, no, probably not. So I'm afraid we'll have to put this up. But we have an open line show in two weeks. Again, and Shane will be with us, and uh, we will take up our questions again. Thank you to all those who have written in and who called in, and uh, we will. Uh, we are so sorry we did not get to your questions, but yeah. you know, it's not like we're going going anywhere. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, we, we try to be thorough. Uh, but we will uh, save the, uh, Peter's que- Peter from South America. We're going to save his question uh, uh, number one for uh, on the Black Eyed Children stuff for our show next week with Nick Redford. I think it's going to be great. Yes. So okay. So as the holidays uh, roll merrily along, we look forward to the 2020 lecture season and our first event, the New England Parafest in Kittery, Maine, in April. And stay tuned for more details as that date approaches. You can check out our books, uh, including Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, and Behind the Paranormal 2, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You've Never Heard Of. Uh, and now, Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeist's, pa- Poltergeist's Parasites, Parallel Worlds, and God. And they're available from online retailers and in some stores, especially those that sell anything with alliterations in them. Uh, <laughs> but for autographed copies, please visit our online bookstore at BehindTheParanormal.com. And that last one Ben mentioned has this exorcism stuff in it that we were talking about. Uh, also at BehindTheParanormal.com, uh, you can find uh, out more about the show, our many cases over the years, public appearances, and how to book us. Uh, and you can at least be directed to most of the uh, 850 shows and special podcasts we've done over the years, uh, including our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with uh, uh, special podcasts there. And uh, those are available on most of the uh, prominent uh podcast uh, sites such as uh, Apple, iTunes, things of that kind. And there are also links in, uh, that are to several charities that we have adopted on the show, including USA Cares, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Helping Haiti's Orphan, Orphans, Youth Mentoring Connection in uh, Los Angeles, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America, and the Sisterhood of Ground Zero. And the Milk Fund, yes. which is a local northern Rhode Island chapter. A lot of folks have connections to, at least in New England. You might want to check that out. So what do we got next week, Ben? So next week, uh, that's December 22nd, the great Nick Redfern will join us to talk about flying saucers from the Kremlin. And also a little bit about black-eyed children. So. Yeah, we'll just, we'll just force force all of our questions on him, and yeah. it'll be great. Well, he, he likes that. Uh, we leave you this afternoon with a sobering thought from American author Ray Bradbury. Mysteries abound where most we seek for answers. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.